0: and today we sharpen our focus and we point the spotlight squarely on one singular fantastic talent yes the only comic book creator that has risen up through the ranks to helm A $60 million production, none other than Frank Miller. The Frank Miller filmography is our focus on today's episode, Sin City, 300, and The Spirit, a a comic book adaptation, no less. He didn't stop with comic books. He transformed our comic book experiences with Daredevil, with Dark Knight, with Sin City, and he wouldn't stop. He eventually commanded, directed the likes of Samuel Jackson Scarlett Johansson in this amazing production of The Spirit, which we put under the spotlight, analyze it, go all deep into the dive of the Frank Miller filmography on today's Rob's Observations. And here we are once again. Welcome to an episode of Rob's Observations. I am your host, Rob, Rob Liefeld. I have been doing this comic book thing for a uh, seems like a million years, uh, 35 years plus uh, making comics, comics that turn into toys, comics that turn into movies, comics that turn into video games, comics that turn into cartoons. I've seen it from every possible angle, and I love to bring a perspective to the comic book industry, the pop culture industry, because they are one and the same now. They, They feed off The exact same marrow, the marrow of comic books. And as an architect of comics myself and a huge admirer of my fellow generations of architects, I bring you this show weekly and we talk all the things that are shaking the trees of comic books and pop culture of which there is something every single day. It seems like, I mean, in a year that wrapped up with, I've got to slow down here, uh, WandaVision, Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon, uh, Loki, Hawkeye, uh, What If, you got Peacemaker, uh, we had Zack Snyder's Justice League, we had a Black Widow movie, we had a Shang-Chi movie, we had an Eternals movie, we had Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, we had an Invincible cartoon. I mean, and that's just, I didn't cover everything right there, but that is just a, a little, just a, a, a smidgen, a taste of what we are getting on the big screen, on the streaming screens. It comes at us nonstop, and I love to talk about it. I love to cover it. And right now, obviously, the Batman is in cinemas worldwide. Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Matt Reeves directed it. It's um, it's uh, uh, uh raking in everyone's attention, uh, all the box office dollars. Uh, they announced last week it goes to HBO Max in April, so we'll all be able to catch it again then. But it's it's uh, appropriate to kind of connect the two events. Uh, both the Batman Matt Reeves film and the 36th anniversary of a comic book, you have heard me mention here many times, and a name I have mentioned many times over. And we're going to dwell a great deal on this tremendous talent today. The, the, the talent of Frank Miller and his amazing uh accomplishment, the the seminal Dark Knight Returns, which again, many different episodes, especially uh if you go back into the Library of our uh, catalogs on any of the platforms that carry the podcasts on on you know iTunes, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, on my own dedicated website, wherever you listen to this show. There are numerous episodes debating and celebrating the relevance and the uh, brilliance of Frank Miller and his uh, I- in incredible impact on the comics industry. And today we're even going to go further into. His cinematic impact, because it is severe, his cinematic Im- impact is outrageous. It's it's incredible, and uh, but thirty six years ago, as I'm recording this, Dark Knight Returns hit comic book stores. It was uh, it was a wave no one saw coming. Everyone knew Frank Miller it was a big deal. He had transformed Daredevil, taking it from a lowly selling six times a year, bi-monthly comic to Marvel's number one selling book, outselling, yes, X-Men and Spider-Man. And, uh, he never looked back. He just, uh, took over Daredevil and infused it with all manner of influences that Daredevil had not yet kind of contained. He brought a, uh, serious grindhouse martial arts, Kung Fu cinema that was so popular in the late seventies. Uh, he brought that square into Daredevil. He he introduced uh, elements of the yakuza. A uh, he he had an uh, ancient uh, cult called the Hand. Uh, all all of these with you know Eastern influences. He introduced Electra, a former love of Matt Murdock, who went on to become an assassin in her own right. And uh, just won't blow the story. Hopefully you can you can catch Electra fresh. Uh, and, and as so many of us did, and have it completely uh just transform your psyche, it really blew a generation's mind. Uh, the, the way that he transformed Daredevil, and the word of mouth followed, and his uh Daredevil went monthly. It became a bestseller, it climbed. I mean, like, I mean, we're talking like 30 slots to the top of the charts, climbing over every Marvel and DC title in its wake. Again, I have talked about him so many times. And, and in recent times, I'm like, I probably talk about Frank Miller too much, which is preposterous. And that's what I really decided yesterday. Like, I don't talk about this guy nearly enough. He and his peers are the Spielbergs, the Scorseses, the Coppolas of the comic book industry. They were hugely transformative tra- transformative talents uh, that impacted my generation. And I feel like we really went after it as a result of the way Frank Miller attacked uh, his craft and pushed the boundaries not only just with content and character creation which I think we all uh, uh you know subscribe to I know I did uh but also formats uh, storytelling page design Frank was really at the forefront his peer group which would be howard Chaikin of American flag Cody Starbuck uh just brilliant howard Chaikin is is just brilliant um probably an early influence on Frank but Frank just kind of took every lob uh that was that was thrown to him by by Chakin and just turned it into touchdown after touchdown after touchdown he just kind of remade the playbook in terms of page design and uh and page layout Walt Simonson Howard Shaken, Jim Starlin John Byrne all these guys they are tremendous uh talents that created kind of a I, I could find echoes. I could find. I could find a matchup for a Spielberg. I could find a matchup for a Scorsese, who I would mostly compare Frank Miller to, in in the world of comics with his really his his uh, his focus on crime noir and just gritty R rated um, romance and violence. But across the pantheon of these creators, the work that they've done is the be- like. There hasn't been a Thor as good as Walt Simonson since he stopped doing it thirty plus years ago. John Byrne's Fantastic Four was the last time that book was. Epic. Uh he again the the previous runs are by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby on both Fantastic Four and Thor, but then the baton was really lifted and pushed in an all new direction by these amazing graphic storytellers with both Simonson and Frank Miller. Uh obviously the X Men was has peaked. With John Byrne and Terry Austin, who kind of showed everyone the way, I am still convinced they're time travelers. And what they did was work from twenty thirty, and they just published it in the seventies, so that it could give everyone kind of a basis of how to, uh, like like, you know, approach these characters. It was so futuristic. I I have I have so many pages from that run of uh, Byrne Austin, and I pour over them, and they are just from another time and place, they look as modern as anything you could ever possibly hope to see in a page uh, today. And uh, ditto with whatever Frank Miller did with Daredevil and Batman. It never got better. It never was pushed further. Daredevil has never had a run that comes anywhere remotely close. When people try and convince me of that, I just, I literally, you've lost me. I mean, that's like, again, it's, 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 it's like saying that today's storytellers are doing it better than Spielberg Scorsese, Coppola, uh, Ridley Scott at his peak. Um, you know they they begat an age of I would say James Cameron, you know PT Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, Christopher Nolan. I believe that is uh, indicative of my peer group and you can figure out whoever matches up with those kind of 90s names. With us as the '90s, I've, I've I've told you the '70s and the '90s is really um, an era that I have seen on convention floors. Don't don't take my word for it. Go to a convention; the books on the wall are primarily from the '70s and the '90s right now. There's a sweet spot in the mid '80s, um, but but the pri- primarily what you're seeing is an explosion. And I've covered this. And if if this is your first episode, I want to let you know that Moon Knight, She Hulk. Uh, uh, Captain Marvel, the, the Captain Marvel that is portrayed by Brie Larson, uh, w- which was Ms. Marvel to us, uh, growing up in the seventies. Shang-Chi, uh, you know, the, as you now get the Netflix shows, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, all of these characters, Ghost Rider, they were born of the seventies, Taskmaster. Um, these characters were all, uh, like 1979 I mean, 1972 to 1979, maybe scraping 1980. Taskmaster is a 19, like, like April or March of 1980. So he just crosses over that 80s threshold. But so much of what you're seeing and so much of what everyone is going nuts for are books that were published in the 70s. Then you move on to Cable and Venom and Deadpool and Carnage, and you are squarely in the 90s. And so many of those books are, you know, popping up and... Um, and increasing in value because trust me, I try and get some of them, and I'm like, oh wow, man, wow, uh, incredible! And it's just incredible the, the the values that are now attached to these books. Frank Miller, in 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 particular, The Dark Knight. Don't don't take my word for it. I mean, Matt Reeves, of the you know, of the Batman, his his brand new uh, film, cinematic version of the Cape Crusader, The Dark Knight Detective. He himself has cited primarily. Frank Miller's work on Batman Year One that he did as a writer with David Mazzicelli, which was a compliment to what he was doing on The Dark Knight at the time. So you got like the last Batman story, which Dark Knight Returns was, you know, supposed to be, and then you kind of got the first. He bookended Batman. DC has gone, uh, DC went on record, both the publisher and the editor, and said, you know, there was no one more talented, more acclaimed than Frank Miller his editor at the time, who was the last guy tasked with being like the greatest Batman writer, a gentleman named Dennis O'Neill said, Frank is one of the major talents in the history of comic books. But don't, don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. I'm going to read you the critical reception. The, The one thing that this podcast has done that, that I guess the goal that I set out to do was give you factual information. We live in a world where people just make shit up now. They just make shit up all the time. And they put it out there in forms of tweets and Instagram statements and Facebook innuendo and just complete utter bullshit. And sometimes I call people on it. Like one guy, like actually a credible person in, in, in the comics industry had a post that said that the Venom movie with Tom Hardy had been greenlit based on the heat of the relaunch of the Venom comic book from a few years back. And I'm like, Whoa, Hey, that's complete and utter bullshit. The, the Tom Hardy movie had wrapped production. And in fact, the focus to make a new series on Venom was because Sony had spent a hundred million dollars making a Venom movie. And so then they came out with the brand new Venom. It wasn't the other way around, but this very credible person put this out there. And then I went, Hey buddy, these dates don't match up. And then he went, Oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't, I, I, I definitely got ahead of myself. And, and, and again, I just presented him facts and figures and dates. And then he acknowledged that, yes, that his information and the way that he saw that Tom Hardy's movie somehow was greenlit based on some new take on Venom, which was erroneous. It was wrong, and it was just flat-out bullshit. And again, on this show, I try and bring the receipts. So many of you guys, you have been very generous. You enjoy when I share with you a fax or a memo and it's dated and I will generally supply a photo of that to go along with this whichever episode or I read to you from an interview from the 70s from the 80s and I cite the journalist the the issue that the date it's important it's important to know that the information is out there. It's just people are lazy, sloppy, and they want to make their own shit up. I mean, currently, again, this, this Batman movie, it cracks me up to go on social media and see the 20 fathers that all think their work is somehow driving that movie when, in fact, the director, the freaking director, has said it is Frank Miller first and foremost, okay? But that that isn't stopping a generation of guys. And I'll tell you why, you guys, because now on the convention circuit, It's, it's as, as managers try and book people, they want their people to be responsible for something on screen. Just so you see through the bullshit, they are trying desperately to connect, connect their talent and they're telling their talent say that this scene is something from something that you did so that it makes you seem more relevant when really what comes down to is first appearances, early appearances. And when you get outside of that, it's you're, you're, you're absolutely stretching in regards to relevance. That's my personal opinion. Um, and that's how I see it. Again, I do a lot of shows. I deal with a lot of show promoters. They tell me, you know, now, oh, but but so-and-so, he did a thing that, that was featured, like, in a scene in that show. And you're like, come on. Come on, man. It, the director himself is telling you the Batman is a product of uh, Batman Year One. And Zoe Kravitz, Catwoman, her entire relationship with Bruce Wayne and Batman is from what Frank the work that Miller and David Mazzucchelli did it's just that simple but when dark knight came out so so you, so given that it's the anniversary the 36th anniversary of this giant moment where people weren't really they didn't really understand because DC hid very very cleverly they did not give away a, a thing when you got dark knight you could not believe what was unfolding in front of you this 48 page uh, I, I've called you. Uh, I've, t- I've told you it's a square bound. It wasn't a comic book. It, w- it eventually went on to become called perfect bound. People called it the Dark Knight format forever because it was the first comic that was glued, not stapled, and forever, it was like a mini graphic novel. Graphic novels had been out, but nothing in comic book size. It was comic book size, but it had the the, the glue spine, not not uh, staples. And what it eventually became. Called was the perfect bound. Do you have anything that's perfect bound? And, and the format itself suddenly became sexy. Oh my gosh! If it was in that format, it must it must mean that it's more special than something else, which was also a bit of fool's gold. We were there in real time. I worked at comic stores. Not everything, just because it was a perfect bound, meant that it was going to have the impact of Dark Knight. But there you go. It's the it's it's the beauty of salesmanship and marketing. But uh, the uh, Dark Knight took everybody by surprise. In fact, having everybody. See, when when an anniversary like a 36th anniversary of Dark Knight hits, you get everybody rushed to social media to give their recollections. That was really fun and awesome to see other peers, other fans, other store dealers remember when they ordered it. One guy said that he got chewed out because he ordered too many. And when when his store saw that he had ordered too many, um, he actually said he got fired. His store got fired and then they rehired him later on because even though the guy had gotten a thousand, he had, even though the guy had order a thousand of these. They sold out that weekend. They absolutely sold out that weekend. So it's just like it's 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 like incredible hearing these stories. So this this kid as the manager goes, Frank Miller on Batman, we probably need a thousand of those. Gets fired cuz the guys like, I can't believe you put this order and I can't, I, I, I mean this is going to, you know, take up all our profits and then it turns out they needed more like 1200, 1250, okay? So these are great stories that everyone was sharing yesterday. And, you know, I I went and I got all my formats out. I've got two gallery editions, giant 11 by 17, bigger uh, reproduction of all the original art with amazing detailed overlays uh, that, that, that show you what Frank did to alter the art, especially towards the end, towards three and four, issues three and four. Frank was altering and inking over what had previously been inked by Klaus and He wanted to change the way Superman was depicted, the way Joker was depicted, the way Batman was depicted. So he was changing figures, faces, backgrounds, um, amazing amount of detail. The, 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 this gallery edition, I'm not even sure if they're available anymore. I got this about five years ago when they first launched. Put out by Graffiti Designs are the greatest of the artist edition style books that are out there. It's just, they're, they're, they're just amazing because of the vellum overlays that include all of the corrections and there is so much of them that, that Frank did alter because as the book was coming out, you could tell that's not a Klaus Janssen line. That's a Frank Miller line. Frank is, he has a very specific way that he inks that is, that is different. It's a little harder and crustier than the lines that Klaus, who was his longtime finisher, embellisher, inker. Um puts down, and and so in this gallery edition, you can really those vellums. I mean, again, it's a specific reason. Otherwise, it's tit for tat. Any other artist edition, but it really goes the extra mile. There, there is two different. There's actually a variant edition of this. It's fantastic. I I I encourage you, at at all, if at all possible, that you can grab this. Grab this. I took out my omnibus. I took out all my different hardcovers, my soft covers, my original. Um, I mean, I was all over the Dark Knight when they. Do an edition. I'm there for it. I buy it. I have statues. I I have so much in regards to Dark Knight. Jimmy J and I did a dedicated, uh, I think, a Watchmen Dark Knight edition that talks how Frank was being pushed by a rival named Alan Moore. And, and you should listen to that episode. It gives you a lot of insight of how a lot of this stuff um, came to be. But I'm just going to read to you from March 27th, 1986, from Rolling Stone Magazine. Mikhail M-I-K-A-L, Gilmore. Okay? Uh, Comic book. uh, Comic book genius. If you haven't looked at comic books in a while, look again is the title of this. It is a deathly hot summer and under the stress of the heat, familiar ideals are upended in the city. The women, the children, the poor are murdered and raped with numbing regularity. Meantime, the nation at large wages war against its neighbors, devastating countless lives and hopes in a mean-spirited crusade. Through it all, a man watches and broods. Once he was a hero for the times, an urban knight errant. Committed to the romance of unreachable dreams like justice for all. Now he watches things fly out of control and he grows sick, haunted, and bitter over his helplessness. He watches and in a way he itches for the violence to come closer. Then one night he is jolted awake by a terrible specter from his past. And in a moment of rage and clarity, he knows what he must do to fight the madness and end the agony. This would be a good death, he thinks. That night all hell breaks loose in the city and he is at its center. This grim scene stands as a crucial moment in Frank Miller's work. The Dark Knight Returns, an unusually ambitious and gripping crime novel that features the dramatic comeback of one of the genre's oldest and best-known detectives, an aging, acrid millionaire named Bruce Wayne, more popularly known as the Batman. That's right, the Batman. The Dark Knight Returns is Pulp Fiction of the Eldest Sort, a comic book. If that sounds rather trite or unbecoming format for hard-boiled material of this sort, then think again. In recent years, the comic book field has undergone perhaps the most wide-ranging and meaningful creative explosion of its 50-year-plus history, spawning a new generation of storytellers who are among the more intriguing literary and graphic draftsmen of our day. Among them, Howard Chaikin, whose American flag took a Dashiell, Hammett-derived, case-hardened hero and replanted him in the truthless setting of post-apocalypse Chicago. Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez, whose love and Rockets is an affectionate commentary on sisterly bonds, and Barrio Reality. Alan Moore, whose updated Swamp Thing is perhaps the brainiest and scariest horror narrative of the 80s. And Art Spiegelman, whose ongoing mouse series in Raw magazine is a cat-and-mouse tale that is also a disquieting fable of the Holocaust. But no other comic artist will win greater attention or stir stronger debate this year than the 29-year-old mastermind behind The Dark Knight, Frank Miller. Indeed, the L.A.-based author and artist has been described by many colleagues, critics, and publishers as the single most exciting figure to come along in comics for the last generation or more, and for fair reason. Not only has his work served to expand the artistic and storytelling ranges of the American mass-market comic book, forcing the medium to accommodate fresh, dramatic visual styles and bold thematic twists, but his success has also helped raise new hopes within the industry for the maturation of a long-devalued art form. You think that's high praise? That I mean, I, I've never read praise that is more uh, just overwhelming, and it goes on and on, but that is the highlight of that Rolling Stone. Uh, I could read you an excerpt from the Indianapolis Gazette, the St. Louis Globe Democrat. Um, Let's see, where's another one that I'll grab? The New Haven Register. The New Haven Register, March 15th 1987 The man the batman who rages through Frank Miller's graphic novel will shock readers who remember the character as a costumed civil servant a friendly cop on the beat who happened to wear gray tights This cape crusader is updated and revised for a world that seems grimmer than it did in 1939 when the dark knight made his debut in Detective Comics number 27 The Gotham City of the Dark Knight returns is as is any large city in 10 or 20 years. Everything is the same but worse. The streets are darker and more crowded. Criminal gangs run wild. Newscasters blandly read the body count. Woman explodes in subway station. Film at 11. At 49, Bruce Wayne is a gray-haired millionaire thickening around the middle who hung up his cave in cowl a decade before and is now looking for a good death. His former friend Superman is the president's secret weapon, a patriot who is less admirable post grenada than he was post-World War II. Miller portrays Wayne as a man whose thirst for justice compelled him to become a costume vigilante and who finds that thirst reawakened by the world's steepening slide into chaos and lawlessness. Wayne throws himself into the night again, satisfying his thirst, recapturing his lost use and spurring the reader, spurring in the reader, that feeling that his youth too has been renewed. This uh, is just indicative of all of the great, uh, you know, Reviews that Dark Knight returned. don't believe for one minute that this was not the most acclaimed, the most acclaimed graphic novel ever produced. Frank would then go on, work with Dark Horse Comics, create Sin City. Sin City was absolute hard-boiled crime fiction, crime noir, uh, many different editions. The first famously focusing on the character of Marv, who is played by Mickey Rourke in the cinematic adaptation of Sin City, which was brought together by Robert Rodriguez, who also gave a co-director credit to Frank Miller. Yes, Frank Miller directed freaking movies. That's how the leap from Dark Knight to to the cinema is so ridiculously astonishing and amazing. It is, uh, it's, it's uh, Sin City, when it came out, I believe in 2005, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I believe it was 2005, was a big hit. Uh, very, um, it was marketed as as, as very different, hard boiled. Looked like a black and white film with splashes of colors, which indeed it was. And uh, it 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 gathered in people in the cinemas. It had a nice big opening weekend. It made some good coin because it was on a limited budget. It was wisely managed throughout, and uh, was such a hit that it it got a follow up. Well, Sin City was the beginning of of the sin city was the absolute beginning of the frank miller uh the hardcore frank miller stylistic interpretations on cinema and and it would end with frank miller directing his own movie a comic book artist in 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 total control filming his own cinematic adaptation i mean he absolutely 100% took took the helm and gave us a film. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're going to get there. But he absolutely becomes a director of cinema. But along the way, but along the way, there was a huge, epic, gigantic, uh, seismic shift outside of Sin City. And it was an adaptation of Frank Miller's story of the Battle of Thermopylae. The, the mighty 300 Spartans called 300 that Zack Snyder did as, as his follow-up after Zack had a giant hit remaking Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And I remember the buildup to 300 was phenomenal. But the thing that was most phenomenal about 300 when the trailers and the promotion started is that so much of what you were seeing, so much of the visual, the the the, the imagery, the movement, the the the... All of the cinematic shots were directly lifted from Frank's illustrations in 300. Frank talks extensively in a documentary that's on the spirit, which we're going to talk about in a minute. He talks extensively about how when he did anything involving New York City or cities, he believed that those are seen vertically, that a city is seen up and down. But when something on a fantasy landscape or Outside of the city, he believes it's seen horizontally, which is why he printed, uh, he created, drew, illustrated uh, all of 300 horizontally. And when it was all collected, it was in a horizontal graphic novel um, that was completely landscape. Um, and 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 it's phenomenal. I have probably too many copies of that landscape graphic novel. It's phenomenal. In recent years, just because I want to really hit home the point that Frank has not ever abandoned the comic book industry he's never just kind of taken his you know foot off the pedal like so many have and don't make stories anymore Frank did the sequel to 300 uh, Xerces just a few summers back it was completed it also is in landscape format it's fantastic but it provided like literally a story a, a, a comprehensive storyboard for the film and when you see Zack Snyder's creation of 300 you'll see that wow This is Frank's, so much of the shots in the trailer were absolute reproductions of Frank Miller's finished illustrations for the 300 graphic novel. So here's the deal, 300, Battle of Thermopylae, Spartans, you know, not exactly the biggest star-studded cast. Gerard Butler is obviously fantastic, but was not exactly uh, in the Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, Will Smith category in 2007. I remember my, my wife had gone away for a women's retreat that weekend, my mom and my sister dedicated always, you know, watching our three kids. They wanted those nights. They wanted us out of the house. They'd come over. They'd take over. That was their time with my kids, my my two boys and my daughter. And so just because Joy was gone, my mom and my sister still wanted to come over that night and, you know, babysit. Well, my other buddies whose wives were going to this retreat, we were all looking for something to do. So the night before, we decided that on Friday, we would all go see 300, this new opening. Now this is March. This is early March. It was a, it was it was a big seismic change because from from 300 after everything changed, and this again is part of the growing mythos of Frank Miller. Now you can go, but Rob, you're missing out on all of Frank's influence on on Batman in the Burton movies. I didn't see it so much. I know that Dark Knight being such a giant success, selling out and then selling as a trade paperback and a hardcover, and gave Warner Brothers the juice to go out and finally get a movie made. But I don't see a lot of that same imagery in the Michael Keaton, you know, Tim Burton Batman. Although I believe it doesn't exist without Frank. So, so I mean, there's there's some yin and yang there for sure. For 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 absolute sure, there's some yin and yang going on there. So, uh, uh, but 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 when 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 you start seeing the absolute interpretation of Frank's work is is in Sin City and then in Three Hundred. But when my friends and I, we're gonna go see Three Hundred. We get to the theater, and this is, again, early March, and there is a line out the door at one of the biggest theaters in Orange County. We are, like, 200th in line. I'm like, what's going on? I go, you know, I want to make sure. Are are you in line? We are in line for 300. Wow! Opening night! Holy crap! And uh, so we bought tickets for a later, you know, showing, and were absolutely blown. My my friends were like, I had no idea this movie was going to kick so much ass. And again, watching... A one hundred percent, just completely committed adaptation to Frank Miller's graphic visuals and storytelling was just mind blowing. Three hundred remains one of my favorite. I think Zack Snyder is an exceptional talent. Um, what he did with three hundred and later with the Watchmen movie is just phenomenal. Um, he he understands graphics and visuals like few uh, have ever on screen. I think I think his visual imagery that he conjures and the way that he moves through those images, uh, speeding up, slowing down just his, his, his cuts. Um, the edits I, I think are just amazing. He He's always excited and, and thrilled me and, and, uh, and, and never failed to, uh, completely blow me away. So 300 makes like 70 some million dollars, 72, 76. I don't have it in front of me, but it was a big deal. It was like, you know Spartan movie you know uh, breaks records opening weekend breaks record records for March I mean I think it was the biggest opening ever for that time of year and in fact it was the beginning of big blockbusters arriving in March and if you go back um, every year since because it you know took the studios a couple of years to catch up but March openings became a thing because they're like wait you mean people will show up in Blockbuster. Numbers, and hey, I know that we've moved into this new Marvel age, Disney age. We've covered here extensively on the podcast how Disney loves to zhuzh up the numbers. Disney, I've had the executives tell me how important it is for them to dominate and make your $600 million gross seem not as significant as their billion-dollar gross. And Bob Iger's last year with uh, those seven, what was it, seven? Okay, let's do this again. Aladdin, Lion King. Toy Story Four, Ms. Marvel, Endgame, Star Wars, was it six? I may be I might be missing one, but uh he had either six or seven movies that made a billion dollars to end the year, which had never been done, and it may it had never been done before, it may never be done again, but it was part of Disney's, you know, muscling to the worldwide theater community that give us your screens, give us whatever we want in terms of as many IMAX screens as we want, as many theaters as we want, hold our stuff the longest for 2 to 3 to 2 to 3 to 4 weeks, push the other guys out into lesser screens so that they don't have the exposure and the distribution reach that we do. It's it was part of a plan. It was outlined for me and when I when it when it was first outlined for me I'm like this this can't even be real, but it was like no no no, I was being given the the like I was being given the keys to unlock the secret playbook right then and I didn't really realize how significant it was, but the uh, in March of two thousand seven, freaking you know, three hundred making seventy plus million dollars was a big deal. It 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 shook the rafters, and uh, it, it just it was just um the the uh, absolute just mind-blowing in in regards to. I remember the the press just, you know, this movie 300 and it went on to have huge legs and make a lot of money. So this made it perfect in regard in 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 uh it made it a perfect uh situation for for uh Frank Miller to be positioned as the director of The Spirit. Now The Spirit is a 1940s comic book hero created by Mike Um, (laughs) sorry, Will, Will Eisner. I'm so sorry. I'm so glad I didn't completely screw that up. Will Eisner, a, a, a guy whose name I don't say enough on this podcast. Um, but he is a giant mentor figure and, uh, clearly a, an artistic and comic book creative muse for Frank Miller. And that, and it was that way from the minute he started doing Daredevil in 1979, all the interviews Frank did, he was giving all the praise, all the glory to uh uh the Will Eisner's work on the spirit his graphic novel a contract with god the way that he um designed and laid out and he, Eisner is an exceptional storyteller up there with the likes of Jack Kirby um and and uh Frank had struck a very struck up a very you know deep relationship with Will over the years as he you know rose and become and, and became this phenomenon i mean again Frank did Dark Knight when he was 29 years old. It's just amazing, and uh, and and that was just kind of kind of the beginning of the next wave of giant heat for him. And uh, you know the thing is that with Sin City being a hit and with 300 being a blockbuster, you got a guy like Michael Uslin. Uslan, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. I've, I've met Michael. He's a sweet sweet guy. He is the original producer on the Batman movie when, when he got off the ground with um, with Tim Burton and, and he has traveled as a producer because that's the way things work in Hollywood. Uh, he is always attached to whatever iteration from Burton to Nolan to now Reeves and and uh, he, he the Michael Eulyn or Bat films I think is the name of his company is is involved. Michael has a lot of uh, options on what I would call more old- timey stuff like thunder agents and he's got yeah the spirit. He, he was trying to get the spirit made into a movie for years. Uh, a matter of fact, at one point, uh, the guy that you all know and love as Sam, uh, as, 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 uh, Flash Gordon, uh, was cast to be the spirit in it while Michael Usland had it under his banner. And, uh, they, uh. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think it was a TV movie. It was a 1987 TV movie that starred, um, that starred, <laughs> uh, absolutely starred Sam Jones from from the the you know Frank Miller. I'm sorry, from the Flash Gordon, from the Flash Gordon, you know, uh, uh, catalog from from the Flash Gordon, uh. You know, fame because Sam Jones had been looking for another, for another, uh, another vehicle because we all, my generation, loved him in Flash Gordon. Um, but this, I do not see Michael Uslan's name on this. But the spirit had a, had he was up to bat uh, in a in a TV movie where Sam Jones of Flash Gordon depicted him. In 1987, it was directed by Michael Schultz. I was errant in thinking that Michael Usland had the option of it back then, but eventually Michael did get, uh, he did get the option on The Spirit. And what, and he's a a wily, smart, producers have to be really smart and make their moves and shift and uh, and move names that have heat into position at the right time. And he did so with Frank. Coming off of... uh, 300 and City they announced, you know, at Comic-Con uh they announced that Frank uh was going to be the director. They 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 leaked it to the press the day before they announced it on Hall H. Frank was nervous. He he confessed to them, but we don't have anything to show them. It's like, "No, you're 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 what we have to show them. You're Frank Miller." And again, Frank having you know been responsible for the source material and so much of the storytelling and, and guys like Zack Snyder and Robert Rodriguez uh, giving so much credit to, to to Frank opened the door for him to be the perfect director of the spirit. So I sat down, of course I did, and consumed the spirit before I took to the mic today and I watched not only the spirit, I watched the commentary track, I watched the documentary Miller on Miller, I watched the green room which is a comprehensive, really, um, the, the, the the best documentary in the DVD on the film and how it was made and all the different components. But you guys, The Spirit came out December of 2008. I went and saw it with my buddy Marat Michaels. Marat was my, he he introduced the term roll dog to me. Marat and I were roll dogs. We roll dogged to movies, sometimes twice a week. Uh, but the uh, this was a late like in the year release, it was, um, again, that the, the December of, of, uh, December of 2008 is, is when this bad boy was released. And <laughs> it was released, technically released on Christmas, de- de- December 25th, 2008. So we are talking just the very end of, uh, of the road for this thing. Now, you're going to go, but Liefeld, that that movie got 14% on Rotten Tomatoes and 30% on on Metacritic. Yeah, it was not well-received and we can get into all that stuff. Now, is it a good movie? So having just watched it for the first time in probably a decade, I'm going to tell you, I think it is a really worthwhile piece of cinema and art. A good movie means you would recommend it to everyone, which I would not. It is definitely not a movie that it's not even maybe a two-quadrant movie. But uh, I think it is admirable, and I think there are reasons beyond the craftsmanship of the work that it failed to connect. But we will get to that at the very end of this. The bottom line is that Frank Miller went from comic books all the way to the director's chair uh, with a with a movie that uh, I'm going to guess, uh, you know, I... I, I one thing I didn't do was 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 lean hard into the uh the budget on on the spirit apparently if if it's to be believed uh, it is it it was a sixty million dollar movie. um well, the bottom line is that having watched it, I was very entertained by it and very very impressed. More so than I was back then, because I was really impressed. It, it just seemed inevitable that Frank was going to direct a movie. The spirit was problematic from the beginning. I, I, I mentioned the word old timey, and I mean it. The spirit is a guy in a suit. Um, he's a guy in a suit and a, and a, and a, and a fedora um, and, and, and a tie, and he runs around fighting crime. I believe, as I mean, you got to take Frank at his, at his word, Daredevil was a huge influence on the spirit. Uh, I mean, Spirit was a huge influence on Daredevil when Frank started. A guy protecting his city. Even some of the dialogue in the spirit movie is stuff that I kind of remember Daredevil saying in 1979, 1980, 1981 in this in the Daredevil movie. But uh, the uh, the idea that this city has a protector, you know, and 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 in the in the opening five minutes of the spirit movie, uh, Gabriel Hecht, who would go on to be a giant, you know, success on the show Suits which gave us of course Meghan Markle um the 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 uh, the the success I, I thought Gabriel Hecht was it was a great he, he was perfectly cast you couldn't really you know y- you didn't bring some sort of movie star persona with him he was just you know Lone Ranger looks like the looks like the Lone Ranger with a suit and and again we can talk about the even bigger disaster of another actually the Lone Ranger film Um that was put out in like 2013 Bruckheimer produced it um Gore Vidal uh I think Vidal directed it um I mean just phenomenal phenomenal movie but but man these guys in these Lone Ranger masks uh they get these they get these really kind of uh not 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 terribly successful outcomes um but but Gabriel Hecht was cast and uh Gore Verbinski, I'm sorry, I said Gore Vidal. Boy, you know, I shouldn't have been up drinking all night, right? Come on, no, just kidding. You guys know I don't do drink; I do blow. Anyway, the thing is, Gore Verbinski, uh, that Lone Ranger movie, I love it, but boy, it it fell under a bunch of controversy as well. But but the spirit film, uh, with uh, with um, Mr. Hiked, I think that's you know how how you say his name, uh, the uh. He, again, he would follow this up with a giant career on television, uh, which, um, you know, cr- created, again, <laughs> if you look at the IMD, it's Megan, it's not even Megan Markle anymore, it's Megan Duchess of Sussex. Uh, again, she was one of the featured characters, but Gabriel Gabriel Mocked was cast to play uh, Denny Colt uh, in The Spirit, live action film by Frank Miller but he's only part of the story because if you've seen it you've seen the fact that uh you, you you've seen the, the the fact that this movie is uh is packed it, it w- watching it yesterday I was even more impressed you've got prior to them teaming up in the Avengers or in the Marvel Universe, and, 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 and we're, again, we're going to really focus in on this December 25th, 2008 date in a minute. Um, I do believe dates on the calendar hurt films just as much as they help films. And I'm sure that they were thinking, well, you know, Christmas, we're, we're putting this out with uh, six other films on Christmas. And kind of just, it felt like a dump. It didn't feel like a, the most strategic uh, placement. I think Lionsgate was having some problems, the, 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 the distributor of the film at the time. But you got Samuel L. Jackson. You got Scarlett Johansson. You got Eva Mendes you got Sarah Paulson, you've got Paz Vega, Jamie Kennedy. I mean, this thing is loaded with talent. This movie is loaded with talent. And Frank, it so so the spirit if you've never seen it is 100% sold out to style. It is a stylistic movie first foremost and always. It is a commitment to bringing a very the very graphic language that started on Sin City he commits even more to it here on the spirit, and he talks about it in the director's commentary, or and as well in the um, in the kind of uh, packaged uh, filmography of the, the, the making of you know uh, feature on the DVD. Frank talks that they wanted to even lean further into it with this um, very chiaroscuro, you know, black and white lighting, um, very um, you know uh, uh, what they call you know. Um, Rim lighting, and, and and so it's in in effect. You're seeing really a, a black and white film with some splashes of color, in the same way that Sin City was brought to you. Again, the problem is it's the guy in a suit and a tie, first and foremost. A lot of the ad campaign was about these big names that I talked to you. It was Samuel Jackson, because the, you know, the, the world knew who Samuel Jackson is. Scarlett Johansson, Sarah Paulson, Eva Mendes. You know, Eva Mendes doesn't make a whole lot of movies after this. She does a couple. Uh, I think she does a, you know, um that that Pines movie. Uh, uh, and and uh, with with, with her, her eventual husband, Ryan Gosling, and then she kind of has retired from from sight. But I mean, she was uh, a it girl of the time, and she was heavily featured in this film. And I'm going to tell you, everyone in this movie is filmed brilliantly. G- Gabriel Mock, when he's shot, is shot beautifully. Just a beautiful that square jaw. He's ridiculously handsome. Has just it, you know, movie star good looks, small nose, you know, steely eyes, that square jaw, um, great physique. He's shirtless in a couple scenes because the spirit is often shirtless in Will Eisner's strips. Um, I mean, there's some stuff shot after shot after shot that he just nails again and again and again. Uh, Samuel Jackson is 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 probably given the biggest featured role I've ever seen. Samuel Jackson. Uh, receive Arguably, he's the biggest, he's not arguably, he is the biggest movie star in the movie. And he has given a giant feature as Octopus to just chew every aspect of every piece of scenery. I remember when I saw it with Mariah, I was expecting a Sin City style film, which is kind of grim in tone and, and typical um, to what Frank was pursuing at the time and everything that he was writing and directing, because, again, Frank is doing Sin City books at this time. He has just completed, you know, uh, uh, a a new, a revisitation of The Dark Knight, uh, a sequel to his acclaimed book that I read you, those amazing, you know, Rolling Stone reviews of. Um, Frank had had taken to a very, uh, how do you say it? It's, um... The, 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 the performances, every single one of the actors committed completely to the way Frank wanted them to be, which is this kind of a uh, deadpan delivery. What do you mean? I'm needed. You don't know what he may need, Dad. You don't know, boss. I mean, it's, it's these line deliveries. Sarah Paulson is one of the most acclaimed actresses of her age. She is always in something that is critically acclaimed. She is a chameleon. She can play anything. Here she completes completely to being this deadpan kind of you know the 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 gal the girlfriend of the spirit who happens to be i'm gonna sew you up oh you've been shot three across the chest spirit i mean it's very again a deadpan a commitment to this deadpan delivery I, i was gonna wait to say it later i'm just gonna say it now the movie is better consumed turning the volume off because i think the audience was probably more put off by the very um pulp crime noir delivery the of, of the script and, and the dialogue than it was the visual um, impact. Visually, it is a brilliant piece of art. It, I, it is lovely, beautiful to watch. The, the blocking, the framing, the the, the storytelling, the cinematography is, is fantastic. Frank can absolutely give you a, an amazing uh, moving picture. He, uh, in, in this, um, making of package on the DVD where they talk to everyone, everyone says, oh, the, idea, the, 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 opportunity to work with Frank Miller, Samuel Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, his brilliant visuals. And then they all show that, you know, Frank did all his own storyboards and they show Frank Miller sequence and then film sequence and Frank Miller sequence on pencil and paper and, and, and then cinematic, um, you know, the, the, the sequence as it was filmed and you can, um. You know, 100%. Just digest that these people were really impressed that we're we're dealing with this uh, amazing auteur. Now, you know, had it been a giant hit, they'd even be. I mean, there'd been like there there'd be Spirit Two and Spirit Three. We we'd be probably watching Spirit Four by now. But as it was, the audience wasn't ready to to commit to this character, to this film, to this vision. And I think a lot of it is the delivery of. I'm gonna get you, octopus. Not if I get you first. Let's die. I mean, it's it's uh it's some really um uh over the top, uh very 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 strange uh I think an audience not weaned on comics and comic book style films. And again, we're gonna get to in a minute to what what this was up against because you're always only as good as what's happening in the culture at the time. And things change. Suddenly, boy bands are a thing, and then they're not. And suddenly, you know, teenage, um, you know, uh, ingenues, you know, belting out high notes was a thing in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, Britney Spears, Mandy Moore, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, and then all at once, it stops. Boom, they're done. The public isn't consuming that anymore. You know, you got NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and O-Town and, and the 98 Degrees guys, and then... It, nobody wants that anymore and they're done and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little into what I think did not help this movie at all because even given its shortcomings which I think is some of the line readings and the script and the performances and but they all gave themselves over no one is not completely committed to performing in this movie the way Frank wants them to be no one is off doing their own thing they all like we're like we're gonna do it we're gonna read it just like this Frank I get back to the fact that he shot everyone beautifully, man and woman, beautifully lit, beautifully portrayed. And, uh, I'm sure when they did like, you know, screen tests and they wanted to show, show how she was going to look. And, and Eva Mendez, I'm sure they're like, oh my gosh, I get to wear these amazing outfits. I get to be shot, you know, beautifully. Um, Frank knows how to, you know, make a pretty picture. And everyone in here is an is an immaculate comic book frame. And when, like, Samuel Jackson is experimenting on one of his clones, and the way the entire shot is framed and blocked with some of the clones behind him and Scarlett Johansson walking up into the frame, and uh, just, the, just the angle of the camera and the entire movement within the frame, is fantastic. Frank is a great director. The, uh, the, the, uh, I mean, again, the, 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 the the cast is is fantastic. The action is great. There's maybe could be a little more of it, and again with that kind of budget, I'm surprised there wasn't. I was actually writing off as I, as I saw it that that there was not as many action scenes because of maybe the budget being limited. But it opens with some some um, really kind of over the top uh, fisticuffs and 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 out of this kind of sewer swamp you know bay bayside of Central City is. Uh, is is uh, Samuel Jackson keeps picking up even wilder things to battle, you know, uh, 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 the spirit with uh, a toilet that he completely puts the toilet seat and kind of you know constricts spirit's movement. He pulls up a wrench that is like ten feet long, and and swings it, and and of course it it, it allows for a great sequence where spirit basically climbs it and it runs up the giant wrench as. Samuel Jackson as the octopus is holding it and he gives him a great kick that looks like it's straight out of every great action sequence in Sin City, the comic book and the movie. But ultimately, um, and there's a sweet story. I mean, uh, uh, San Serif, who is played by Eva Mendez and her early romance with, with Denny Colt and, and the way they fell apart and, 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 and she's kind of the, the, uh, the, the element in the story that's mixing it up between octopus and spirit and keeping kind of the both, both of them from their goals. Um, Eva Mendez is is fantastic. She probably gives the single best performance because it's subtle enough uh, without being completely over the top, but she's still committed to that tone. Um, ScarJo is having a great time. She knows exactly the role she's been given and she is there to compliment and chew the scenery along with Samuel Jackson. The one crazy thing is Samuel Jackson as Octopus. And again, if you're acting while he's Octopus, he's not Doc Octopus. He doesn't have multiple limbs. He even says, I have eight of everything. That's Frank's... Uh, uh, definition and Walt Will Eisner's definition of octopus. Octopus was in fact a, a dedicated nemesis of of the spirit in the Will Eisner strip, and so it was a perfect kind of casting to get Samuel Jackson, who who probably has maybe one more scene, a few more minutes on screen than 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 the spirit himself has. But uh, I mean, Samuel I, uh, talks about what a fan he was of Frank Miller's comics, and lists all of them in in, in the featurette. And and how excited he was to work with him, and I'm sure Frank and he talked over, and this is how I want you to portray, and I mean they are having a great time uh, in portraying this character. I think I think it was maybe in a world uh, that that at that time what it was accepting, it, it was just too over the top. So I'll get to exactly why I think this movie struggled as mightily as it did, and it's not just the way it was shot, because I think it looks brilliant. And if you were to turn. The movie off and you're like well, that's that's insane no a lot of times i watch movies without sound i watch uh mad max you know fury road which i think is great with volume or or not but i'll just turn it down and have it watching it, playing in the background movies are consumed differently but again the, the night that you buy the movie and you buy the ticket you're there to see a movie with the full volume to see the performances hear the dialogue i get it That's not an option in a theater I'm talking about how to enjoy it best now because you're not going to see the spirit of the theater. You're going to see it at home, either renting it on demand or, 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 or watching your Blu-ray as I did. But the thing is that uh, the, the world had shifted. The world of 2005 Sin City and the wow factor of that crime noir world where they are as deadpan in that movie as they are in spirit. Sin City. Whether it's Bruce Willis or Mickey Rourke, they are doing the same deadpan Sam Jackson, ScarJo, Eva Mendez performance as Frank is asking them to give him in the spirit. Okay, he is the, the spirit and Sin City performance-wise are very similar. It's just the world changed. 2007, more Frank Miller kind of comic book storytelling, very, very you know jarring graphic storytelling. Some really amazing. The one and, and when I say the storytelling, the way. Literally silhouetted pieces of art, the exact um, horizon landscape that Frank depicted, or this incredible depth of field, this forced perspective of a spear and a shield, and all these Spartans with their shields over them like a giant turtle, like forming a giant turtle shell. That's the stuff I'm talking about when I'm talking about the imagery of of of, uh, of three hundred. And then, of course, you know th- th- that also had a little bit of the over the top, like this is Sparta, okay. 2008 May 2008 changed all that with Tony Stark being depicted by Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man coming to life, and in a movie that I have said repeatedly is like an Apple Store, you know, uh, 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 you know, implemented into a a film. I mean, the Apple Tech. It was taking what had happened a year prior in 2007 with Transformers that summer even further, and 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 Iron Man's armor looked like it came out of like the Apple Store and all of the, uh, the, the the technological prowess and the direction. And that movie is just, that first Iron Man is just phenomenal. I, I think John Favreau just made a, a, a tremendous work with that film and the way it was depicted. And it kicked off, obviously, this new cinematic universe that people went crazy over. It, it overachieved the box office 300 plus million it, domestically. I mean, on, on a movie that, if you go back to one of my podcasts, There's one where I uh, call it the rise of the D-list because Wall Street believed Captain America, Iron Man, Thor were D-list characters and limited Marvel's ability to finance their new film operation with what they had left because because Wall Street and all of the banks viewed the A-list characters, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, Daredevil, Ghost Rider as being spoken for and all they had left was the D-list. So expectations on Iron Man were crazy, but Summer of 2008, boom, Iron Man blows you away. And what happens? Two months later in July, you get what is revered by many as one of the greatest superhero action films of all time in The Dark Knight. And Christopher Nolan's sweeping vision and expansive, you know, you want to talk about IMAX visuals and and, and landscape, you know, horizontal like vistas. I mean, made for IMAX cameras. I, I, Christopher Nolan, uh, the, the sweeping visual language that was now in play between Iron Man and Dark Knight, and then the playful tone and the witty banter and kind of the really real-world Tony Stark—you believed that that guy existed in our world, that he that he was a tech a tech billionaire. And that he was a, this incredible inventor and creator. It was very, very grounded. Dark Knight, very, very grounded. Well, what do we give you in Christmas of that same year? We are now giving you something that is a product of what everyone liked in 2005 and 2007. And again, now we are back to the boy band and to the teenage blonde ingenue, high-pitched voice, you know, uh, starlet that that quickly faded as fast as it arrived. I mean, people. Tastes change. They come and go. People latch onto something and they just as quickly move on to something else and their tastes have changed and they don't even realize it yet. But the spirit, which is in the same vein, which fits comfortably into the filmography of Sin City and 300 was DOA with audiences because it was not something that they were into. There was no fancy schmancy Iron Man armor, no Apple tech. There was no, uh, you know, late uh, the, uh, uh, celebrated performance by a late great you know, actor of his generation, Heath Ledger or the expansive, expensive $200 million vistas of Dark Knight. Um, cause I mean that, and again, that is a movie that to me felt like, you know, the Godfather, like Coppola and Scorsese with $200 million budgets with a, you know, Cape crusading superhero at, at its center. I was blown away. The first two thirds of Dark Knight are some of the best movie cinema I've ever experienced. I've just, I've been honest, I'm not a big fan of where it goes when Two-Face happens. But up to that point, I was like, oh my gosh, the move, the way the movie moved, the giant sweep of, of of the cinematography, and then we got The Spirit. It was really a movie, wrong time, wrong place. If you watch it, I, I think you'd enjoy it. Are you going to herald it as the finest of cinema? No. Again, it's not a blockbuster by any means it's very acquired taste but the performances are committed Eva Mendez, Paz Vega uh uh Stana Caddick she's great too she's fantastic and at the end she's carrying this giant futuristic cable gun and everyone kind of comments on it and it's it's utilized um but and there's there's towards the end there's this his own sweep of the camera with all the cops kind of rushing in to take on Octopus and his men and from the minute I saw it in cinema to when I view it at home, it's my favorite shot in the whole movie. And you'll know. And it, and it really kind of has their feet at their ankles, like running past us, the viewer, you know, it, all the cops running towards the horizon line, from the horizon line right into our face. It's 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 a great shot. Frank is a great director uh, in terms of visually and, and stylistically. Uh, I think the script and the performances were, um, what, while they were exactly what he was looking for, the audience had moved on from this style of film. Cause I really, there hasn't been anything like it since, uh, there hasn't been anything like it, especially like it that succeeds since there was a movie in between all this, or maybe prior to this called, uh, sky captain, I believe it has Gwyneth Paltrow in it. Um, I, I sky master, I, 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 I'm just kind of going from memory here, but, uh, it had a, uh, it had a <sighs> same sort of deadpan kind of old-timey serial uh, application to it. But is it worth seeing? Is it worth seeing Frank Miller direct a film? It is. And to applaud that someone from my uh, graphic world got into a director's chair who was directing Talents. I mean, think of this cast today. Again, I mean, just... Go to the Sam Jackson, the Scarlett Johansson, the Eva Mendez of it all. I mean, these are big, giant actors, um, stars that um, showed up, committed, you know, worked under the direction of Frank and brought his vision to life. The spirit is a tough sell any time of year. I think they were wise. Michael Uslan, everyone on board was wise to get the green light like riding the success of Sin City and and 300 because that's what they used to get the green light, to get the financing to make this movie. But I think a guy in a suit and a tight and a fedora who's, you know, talking about protecting his city and he's the spirit of his city and my city bleeds and my city screams and my city calls out for me again, stuff that Daredevil would talk about in the pages of Marvel's Daredevil, which was very influenced by what Will Eisner had done in the spirit. Again, Frank will always um, boldly as, as, as I tell you, I kind of worship at his altar artistically. He worshiped at worships at, you know, the altar of Will Eisner. So the spirit is a worthwhile, absolutely worthwhile endeavor. Um, if it's eight ninety nine, dollars 99 dollars for you to watch, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, the visuals are, are very compelling. They're, they're, they're hard to take your eyes off of. There's some stuff that I'm like, I, I think I should incorporate that. Um, you know, the, uh, the the, the storyline is very basic. I mean, it's very cool. They're after the blood of Hercules. Um, it ties Octopus and Spirit together. Um, it's got a good MacGuffin. Uh, you know, uh, again, everyone's committed. But there's a scene when Samuel Jackson and Scarlett Johansson are in Nazi like SS costumes, and they're and Scarlett Johansson is standing in front of a picture of Hitler. And I'm not sure why suddenly the Nazi imagery became a thing. And it's it, it's 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 the scene in the movie that I think most people will check out at. Sp- spirit is tied to a chair and plaster of paris who's played by Paz vega is about to slice and dice him with her sword as she's done and threatened to do in the comic book pages but um and 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 again all the names are very heightened reality um you know uh silken floss s-i-l-k-e-n-f-l-o-s-s is Scar johansson's first you know full name the the producers in their um interviews in the the making of package, say that they are making contemporary noir and that, um, you know, heightened reality. And I'm just telling you that the audience wasn't ready for this. I'm not sure they ever would have been ready in terms of blockbuster results for this movie, but coming December 25th, 2008, after Iron Man and after Dark Knight, uh, the world had shifted. Expectations had changed. Audience tastes were not what they were prior to May of that year. And 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 look what look where it led us. I mean, Iron Man and Dark Knight led us to where we are at exactly right now. So Frank Miller, greatest comic book artist, uh, illustrator, writer, producer of of comic book material of my generation, acclaimed. Again, I, I read to you from Rolling Stone. I read to you from uh, different uh, di- di- different you know uh, sources. I'll, I'll, I could I could flip. Let's see what did um what did exactly. Let's see, um, what, did the, what did the L.A. examiner say? Um, here, well, this, this is a review from January 20th, 1987, because by, by now you're getting the book has been reprinted in its um, tr- trade paperback form, and so people are getting to read all four of them and they're, they're giving new reviews. Um, Jim Narekas. So I started with uh, Dark Knight uh, reviews. I'm going to close with them. This is from the uh, Chicago... Uh, a biweekly news magazine in these times published in Chicago in these times one thing is certain those who knew batman from the camp tv serial featuring adam west would not recognize the new cape crusader the bat this batman is mysterious obsessive and sometimes brutal he drives a tank and robin is a girl. This is the Dark Knight of a recent special four-issue miniseries from DC Comics now available in one volume under the title The Dark Knight Returns. The book is the product of Frank Miller, the infant terrible of the comic book world. For comic book fans, Frank Miller is best known for drawing and writing Marvel Comics Daredevil and transforming that title under his pen. Lately, he has received mixed reviews for Dark Knight. Rolling Stone called him a comic book genius. The Village Voice accused his series of neoconservative propaganda. So, uh, the, the uh, you know, this one paragraph, it says the old breed of hero could repress a darker half completely like Superman, whose father died on Krypton to send him off to fight for truth, justice and the American way. Superman never had self-doubts and could concentrate on beating the, beating the other in the form of Lex Luthor or Brainiac. But of late, this sort of hero has been lost in popularity. Adam West TV Batman was another good example of this type descending into parody. Modern comics have replaced the hero with the anti-hero, dark, dangerous figures who have a good a good bit of the dark side within them, parale- parale- <laughs> paralleling the move from John Wayne to Clint Eastwood to Clint Eastwood. The new comic book hero is someone like Wolverine from Marvel's X-Men portrayed as a psychopathic killer, sometimes as a Zen warrior, but always as a mutant with 18-inch claws that can cut through anything, including human opponents. Wolverine is the most popular hero in comic books today. Paw, the Dark Knight, returns carries the anti-hero even further not only is the slang of the father gone over in peck and paw like detail but a new element is introduced the real reason bruce wayne becomes the batman is an immoral bat spirit that lives in the caverns that are later to become the bat cave it is this monster claiming him as his own that gives him his obsession not the death of his parents which merely channels the dark violent hero violent dark violent urges into a socially constructive outlet uh Again, look at all the words and all of the acclaim that came Frank's way. He deserved a shot at a film. I don't know that he'll ever direct one again. The Spirit, again, having um, not made half its budget back, probably uh, is the, the biggest reason that it would haunt him. I would love to see him try something more modern, not something so stylized, looking like it jumped off the page. The Almost the entire movie is green screened. You'll, you'll see this. And even some of the actors, Samuel Jackson talks about, like, I'm the king of green screen. I just did three Star Wars movies, he says. But this, like, Scarlett Johansson, Eva Mendes are like, I have never done in a movie with all green screen because so much of what is around them is composited, is put in by a VX producer, uh, uh, supervisor and his team who are advising Frank every step of the way. But they are 100% gr- green walls, green floor, green ceiling. That is why so many of the elements of the film are... are are jarring, and the characters themselves, one of the actors, you know, Eva Mendez even talks about, like, I, I don't know what to play against, I'm just, you know, in front of a green screen, sometimes, I mean, she couldn't swim, she she tells the producers she couldn't swim in the opening scene where you meet her, she is swimming, but they said, oh, don't worry about that, you're not ever going to be in water, it's all through wires, and we're going to composite the water around you. So you'll be dangling from wires, you know, uh, uh and we'll show you how to move your arms and kick and, and look as if you're, 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 you're swimming, but it's something she held from them to the last possible moment that she could not in fact swim, but it didn't make a difference because there's no water for her to swim. And again, it was all composited in afterwards. And she's dangling from wires going through motions as if she is swimming when she is not the spirit. I enjoyed it. I think you should give it a chance. A chance. I, I cannot tell you that it is a great film. I think it is a fine film. I enjoyed it very much. I think I think there is much to appreciate. And the most to appreciate is the fact that one of our own, a comic book, just Dynamo, a, a comic book powerhouse, got a $60 million budget to make basically whatever he did with an, uh, an enormous cast, all of which whom read it, had their agents negotiate, said yes, showed up, and committed to the entirety of the performance that Frank wanted. And again, I believe those specific performances and the way that he shaped the film are probably what was more troubling than anything visually because the visuals are stunning. You guys, we went all in on Frank Miller, Dark Knight, and The Spirit, the cinematic, the cinematic filmography of Frank Miller. 300 was a powerhouse. It changed everything for a couple of years. And then things changed again. In 2008, and Spirit perhaps was maybe just a little bit late to the dance. Maybe under different circumstances, it would have fared better. But make no doubt about it, Frank Miller is a dynamo, and I hope that he continues to make compelling comic book imagery that I consume. I buy anything and everything that he did. Again, the last thing that he did, following a threequel to his Dark Knight trilogy, of which he did a sequence of of short stories with every issue and covers, he did a sequel to 300, which I hope we see someday called Xerxes, which is cool it has an, again phenomenal imagery that I would love to see adapted to film. You guys, this is the time of the show where we share your reviews, your um ratings. Why do we do that? We do that because uh this this platform needs it. We need it to stay uh as competitive and relevant. You guys know like even my wife and my kids are like, everyone has a podcast. It seems as if they do. And and thank you for engaging and telling people why you love this podcast so much, because it absolutely makes a difference. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, th- these reviews I'm going to read today, I am deeply touched. This was, le- was left just the other day by a, a, a guy named Beef Kirky. Beef Kirky 19. Beef Kirky 19, Gave us five stars. Thank you very much. Again, this all matters. It helps the platform. It helps our podcast separate from the others so much. The title of this is Feels Like I'm Hanging Out at My Local Comic Store. Five stars. Rob, I recently discovered this podcast, and I've been working my way through all of your episodes. I listen to it in the car while working in the garage as I wash dishes pretty much everywhere I go. I've followed you. I followed you since New Mutants, and I just finished your Snake Eyes Dead Game. I never miss a Life Old comic, and now I will never miss a Rob Observations. 1992 was my last year of high school and first year of college. Your body of work holds a special place in my heart. I I hope to bump into you at Frank and Son's sometime so I can thank you in person. Keep up the great work and keep spinning yarns on the page and on the podcast, Kirk, and then in parentheses Beef Kirky Beef Kirky. You touched my heart, buddy. That is the sweetest thing anyone has written about me. I cannot um, even begin to tell you how much I am truly touched by by this uh, this this very generous review. Thank you, Beef Kirky. If you do see me at Frank Sons, reach out, tap me. I'm, I, I'm so I'm so excited. We're not wearing masks anymore. We can freely move. I'm, I'm going there more often now that our um, pandemic has died down again. So I hope to see you. Thank you again for this generous review. This. I'm going to read is from House of Dudley. House of Dudley writes Catching Up With an Old Friend. Gives us 5 stars. Thank you House of Dudley. Growing up I lived in a small town and I really didn't have access to a comic shop. I relied heavily on Wizard magazine for articles and updates pre-internet on my favorite artists. I was always fascinated by the advent of image comics and remaining so to this day. Listening to Rob tell stories from his early days all the way to current in a no-holds-barred, nothing off the table podcast has been very refreshing to hear. Lots of questions I always lots of questions I had always wanted to ask him, he has been very upfront and open about. Rob, keep doing what you're doing, and I love the fact that you are also interviewing some of your peers as well. Cards on the table, I would pay money (laughs) to hear your impression of Todd on a platform like Cameo. Spot on. Hope to meet you again one day soon. Your pal, Mike Dudley. House of Dudley, Mike Dudley. Thank you so much for the five stars and for this amazing reviews. You guys continue to spread the word, continue to help us. this the show is growing leaps and bounds. I'm gonna to continue to promote it as much and as often as I can. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart from giving for giving me your time. And uh, not just listening, but then committing to these amazing reviews. You guys, I am all over social media. I love talking to you guys across all of those different platforms. Let's go over those. I am on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. The full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Robert Liefeld. I have a blue check next to my name, so you know it's really me you're talking to. I love sharing and talking back and and, and just exchanging ideas and thoughts with you guys on that platform. It's so fun. Please reach out to me there, at Robert Liefeld. On Instagram, I am at Robert. Rob Liefeld find me there I love reading your messages your DMs your comments you guys are so generous so kind so um just full of great enthusiasm I'm so thankful that I'm able to talk to you guys on these platforms this show Rob observations with Rob Liefeld has a Facebook page go find it like it leave a comment I'll read it I'll respond Thank you so much. I am all over Facebook. I am in so many different groups. There's a Rob Liefeld Extreme Studios page you should join, and 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 that is probably the most active in terms of direct engagement. But uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I'm everywhere. You guys, this is the time of the show where we commit to taking care of each other. You're going to take care of your mind, your body, your soul. You're going to chill. You're going to relax when you have to. You're going to have a big gulp. You're going to have a Slurpee. You're going to have a bag of Doritos. You're going to have a bag of Lay's. Whatever whatever is your pleasure, a candy bar, a cupcake. You're going to kick it up. You're going to watch some great stuff on streaming. You're going to watch a cool movie. You're going to watch the spirit. Frank Miller's the spirit. Maybe you're going to turn the sound off. I don't know. You guys, take care of yourselves. It's very essential. Enjoy and love and like what you like and please make sure that you circle back and and check check back in with me cuz i'm going to be here and we are going to talk again real soon <laughs>